0: Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the opportunity you give us Sunday after Sunday to come together in a formal worship service. But more than that, Lord, thank you for the opportunities we have throughout the day, every day of our life, to stop and thank you and praise your name. You're a God if we take the time to look and notice who's working in our lives day in and day out. You have chosen, dear God, to create a path for us, and you clear that path. And when there's an obstacle, dear Lord, it's because you've allowed that obstacle to be there, and you're going to use it to your own end. And then, Lord, when it's clear sailing, when things go really well, and we're excited about how easy life has gotten... You're the one who's caused that to happen also. Help us, Lord, to understand what you're doing in our life. And help us to give you the praise and you the glory. And Lord, when we get down on ourselves or down on somebody else or we find ourselves discouraged, I not only ask you to forgive us, but I pray, dear God, that by the power of your Holy Spirit, we'd be reoriented and get our focus off of ourselves, and get our focus off of the things around us and get our focus back on you. And then we will see ourselves and we will see life so differently. Please, Father, help us. For we have a tendency day after day to stumble. And your intention is for us to walk in your spirit and experience that grace daily. Father, every Sunday I stand in this pulpit, and on behalf of your people, I call out and I ask for renewal in our land and around the world. And Father, there's personal renewal going on all of the time. In places far away, with people that we will never meet, and with people in our life that we know and have contact with. And you're working your purpose out, Lord, in their individual lives. We long for a time when our nation would be surrendered to you, when people throughout this land would turn to you and trust you and believe in you, When we'd see people coming to faith and having their eternal state secured with you, how wonderful it would be if some of the things that are so destructive in our society would disappear because people would see that we need to make them disappear. If entertainment would be joyful and family oriented and cause people to relax and enjoy it. If conversations and parties would be a time of friends getting together and not having to have an inducement to find fun and joy, but instead, Lord, just being together with you and with them. Lord, we need renewal in our personal lives, and we need renewal in our country. And we know, Lord, if you choose to do that, that you'd even use folks like us to invite people to events, to get people to come with us. And if you do that, Father, across the country in your church, in a very quick period of time, our country would look very different. Lord, we ask for your help. But whatever plan you have, dear God, help us to be faithful. Help us to know that we have opportunities all around us to share Jesus Christ with other people and to be a living witness about what it means to know Jesus. Father, we have a great many missionaries spread throughout the world, as do other denominations and other groups. They live with the day and day challenges that we all face, and then they have cross-cultural challenges, some of which seem like they're almost impossible. Hostility toward them, isolation toward them because of who they are and the one they serve. Father, we lift our missionaries up to you and ask your blessing on them. And pray at this moment and the moments to come that through the peace of your Holy Spirit, they would feel your presence and be reassured of the purpose that you've called them to. Lots of other folks are in the helping business, Lord. Those in the military, those who serve as firemen, those who are involved as police officers, those who work in our hospitals, and the list goes on and on. I pray, dear God, that you would encourage those who are helping others and that you would keep adding to that list. I thank you, Father, for the way you minister to us and the way you love us. I thank you for your church, and I thank you for what goes on here because of you. And I pray your blessing on us as a group and on us individually. I know, Father, when we come together on Sunday morning, there are some who are facing all sorts of ailments, others who are recuperating, and yet others who are experiencing tension and pressure in their lives. I pray before we leave this place that we might take all of those concerns and gently place them at the foot of the cross, knowing that you love us and that we belong to you, and that you're going to help us day by day. Father, thank you. Thank you for your love as expressed through Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. I invite you to open your Bibles with me to Paul's letter to the Philippians, We're going to go to the fourth chapter today, and we're going to pick up with the 10th verse. I chose to move to the fourth chapter in the 10th through 19th verses because of this pending thing we call Thanksgiving. And I want to talk about Thanksgiving and how that works in our lives. Philippians, the fourth chapter, beginning with the tenth verse. Once you've found your place, put your finger in your Bible and then smile as you look at me. Public speakers, thank you, Harold. I wish you could have seen Harold just then. Harold, that's okay. You don't need to smile. (laughs) Let's pray together. Father, I thank you that as we turn to your word, it is an encouragement to our hearts. I thank you, Lord, that it renews our minds, which so often are in darkness, and you illuminate for us through your word who you are and what you're all about and what you have in store for us and how we're to live our lives. And this morning's passage is no exception, Lord. So I ask for the empowering of your Holy Spirit as we read and as I preach, and I pray that the things that are things you once said, that you would embed them in our minds, so that we might remember them when we leave this place, and so that they might make a difference in who we are. Thank you, Father, for this opportunity. Bless us now, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. I think if you grow, if you grow up in our country, somewhere along the line in elementary school, you start to hear about the first Thanksgiving, 1621, and our children have heard that what happened was a group of Indians, the Wapamos Indians, and a group of folks called pilgrims came together, and in the autumn of 1621, they celebrated together by having what we would typically call a feast. And it was a way to say thank you to God for that first harvest. And we all understand that. I want you to go back just a moment and think about those pilgrims for a minute. Two months at sea in a boat that not one of us would want to get into. 3,000 miles of ocean. Just endless salt water. Seemingly forever. Finally, they get to the coast of North America in the New England area and they arrive in the winter without adequate supplies. Don't you imagine when they sat down for that first Thanksgiving, they looked around at all the empty chairs? Because many of their loved ones and companions had died. And as you probably know, in some of our colonies, entire villages and small communities were wiped out during the first year or two or three that people were in this country. So that first Thanksgiving for those pilgrims took on a whole new meaning. And you know what they had waiting on them? Another hard winter that would take more lives that would challenge them once again. The Indians, on the other hand, had lived here for a very long time, and and the particular Indians that they became familiar with and who befriended them were folks from the northeastern part of the United States. They would spend their winters inland and were dispersed over three or four of what we now call states, and they would hunt and they would fish the freshwater streams. And then as it started to warm up, they would migrate back to the coast, to the Atlantic coast, where they would set up individual villages again. And there they would plant crops and they would fish in the ocean. Those are the Indians, a chief and his wife in 90, they tell us of those Indians came to the first Thanksgiving. Now, it'd be wonderful to say, and they lived happily ever after. You know, there are no descendants of those Indians today. In a very short period of time, they became sick. And that illness began to spread until it literally wiped out their whole population in New England. Pilgrims many of them died in the next couple of years because of the harshness of the life they were living i wonder what the second thanksgiving was like for the indians and for the pilgrims now the reason i asked that question do we only give thanks when things are going good Are we like a person on a roller coaster? And when things are going good, we say, Lord, we love you. Thanks for blessing us. And when things start down and we start to experience hardships, as the pilgrims and Indians did, do we quit giving him thanks? And then when we start to experience what comes inevitably, that rise again where we feel prosperous or healthy or some of those pressures are removed, do we then start giving him thanks again? I'm afraid a lot of folks are on that kind of thanksgiving routine. You thank him when things are good, and you don't thank him when they're not good. As I read our passage this morning, Paul's addressing just that. And what he's doing is he's giving us instruction on how we're to thank God and when we're to thank him. I want you to read along with me. And please, keep your Bibles open in your lap after I finish so you can refer back to the passage. I'm looking at Philippians, the fourth chapter, starting with the 10th verse. Listen, my friends, God is about to speak to us. But I rejoice in the Lord greatly, that now at last you have revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned before, but you lacked opportunity. "'through him who strengthens me. "'Nevertheless, you have done well "'to share with me in my affliction. "'You yourselves also know, Philippians, "'that at the first preaching of the gospel "'after I left Macedonia, "'no church shared with me "'in the matter of giving and receiving, "'but you alone. "'For even in Thessalonica "'you sent a gift more than once for my needs.' Not that I am seeking the gift itself, but I seek for the profit which increases to your account. But I have received everything in full and have an abundance. I am amply satisfied having received from Ephroditus what you have sent, a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice. Well pleasing to God. And my God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. When you look at verses 10 through 13, you see what the Lord says to us in all circumstances when the roller coaster is going up and when the roller coaster is coming down, in all circumstances, Paul is saying, give thanks to the Lord. And he goes about it in an interesting way. It starts out, and if you read it just a phrase at a time, it sounds like he's talking about some sour grapes. He starts out by saying, But I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at last you have revived your concern. Well, they had been concerned. He mentioned in the passage when he was traveling through Thessalonica and to other places, these people in Philippi had helped him. And now he's under arrest. He's in Rome awaiting trial. Doesn't know what's going to happen to him, and the gifts have stopped coming. And then after a while, a messenger, Ephroditus, comes from Philippi and gives him a gift from the church at Philippi. And he now says... I rejoice in the Lord because at last you've revived your concern. You've started that practice again. You know, you can read that phrase and you can hear a lot of people around us today, a lot of people who complain a lot. I don't have what I want. I don't get what I want. People aren't thinking about me. I feel so cut off from other people. And that kind of reoccurring concern becomes the focus of a lot of folks' lives. And then when somebody does a kindness toward them, it's almost like well, you finally got back around to it. And you can almost hear this reoccurring theme that says, I've been deserving all the while. Where have you been? Why haven't you been helping me? Well, that kind of thinking, folks, will absolutely ruin life. The thinking that others ought to be taking care of us because they can never do it adequately enough the more they pay attention to us the more they give to us the more we will expect and in some cases the more we'll demand paul is not saying that he says indeed you were concerned before he's saying that was a legitimate concern but you lacked opportunity. None of us know what it means about lacking opportunity. Whether they didn't have the wherewithal, it seemed they did, or didn't have the opportunity in the sense of FedEx didn't exist, so there wasn't any way to get things to him. I had an experience with one of our missionaries in South America while we were visiting with him. Some gifts came from the United States. (coughs) It had been a while since they'd received any gifts. So when they got the little card in the mail, they took the little card and they went down to their local post office and presented the little card and they gave them a little bigger card. Well, it took about three days to get that exchange to take place because they had to stand in long lines just to get up to give the card, to get the card. Then they went to a larger city and now they have something that's going to retrieve this gift. And they stand in line for several days. You and I aren't accustomed to that. They finally get up and present the card, and there's a demand made for them to pay an exorbitant amount of money, which far exceeded the cost of the gift that had been sent. Because it was sent by folks in the States as a sign of love, they felt compelled to pay the price. And they paid that price and took the gift and went home. It is costly both to the one who presents the gift and oftentimes to the one who receives the gift. This needs to not be about me or about you and what we're getting. This needs to be about what we're doing for somebody else. Can you hear that? That changes our whole life when we're living for other people and not for ourselves. I don't know what that opportunity was that was missing, but obviously they started again and were revived. If you read on in the passage, he says that he was content. He was content with whatever his circumstances. Didn't make any difference whether it was one of those highs or one of those lows. I thought back and and sat in my study and and reread the account from Acts. It's in Acts 16. And it's an accounting of how Silas and Paul had gone in to Philippi and had gone into the square, and because they were preaching the gospel, it had a negative economic effect on some of the people there. And you remember how that passage goes? They tore their clothing off of them in public And they beat them, and you can sense from the scripture it was a terrible beating. And when they got through beating, they threw them in jail, and they bound them to the ground in jail. And then the most remarkable thing happened. If that had been you and had been me, I think what we would have probably done is in the dark of that prison, we would have been feeling all of the abrasions and maybe broken bones. And we would have been saying, woe is me. Would you have done that? I think I wouldn't have been able to resist not doing that, feeling sorry for myself. Instead, Scripture says, they began to sing and to praise God. At the bottom, they sang praises to God. And it says a really interesting thing in the next phrase. And it says, and other people in the prison heard him. Don't you think for one minute that we're not being observed all the time? People are watching us all the time. It's just the way we humans are wired. And if we are praising God by the way we live life, we're a positive witness in somebody else's life. And we're an encouragement to them when they face hard times. But if we're saying, woe is me, and we're waiting on somebody to give to us, and we're not giving it away, that's a witness to other people to behave like we are. And folks, that's a dead-end street. That doesn't work. So we need to be a positive encouragement. So what Paul is saying is, no matter what's going on in your life, no matter what circumstances, give praise to God. still doesn't tell us how to do that. That's still a challenge, isn't it? If you look on, he says there's a secret. And he's learned the secret. And you know what the secret is? It's Jesus. It's Jesus. And Jesus has so impacted the life of this Jew who was a persecutor of the church that it not only caused him to fall humble on the Damascus Road, but when he stood up, he stood up a new man. It changed his life. And he spent the rest of his life ministering to other people, giving himself away. And don't you think that when you give yourself away, you're giving praise to God? Isn't that what that's all about? You don't get the credit for that. If you do, you didn't reflect it right. You ought to deflect that praise and make sure it goes to him. So as you and I are a living witness, it's a witness to the fact that there was a secret that we've discovered that other people haven't necessarily discovered. And that is that Jesus really, really is the one we have a personal relationship with and we serve him as the risen Lord and the risen Savior. Hang on to the secret. It's a secret if you know Jesus that you already have in your possession, and it can modify the way you live life. If you look down at 14 through 18, he says there are some specific circumstances that we need to give praise in. There are times when things are really tough, times when there are doubts and times when there are questions about what's going on and what's going to happen to us. And here he is, Paul, sitting in jail, waiting to find out what's going to happen to him, whether he'll live or die. So he writes this, and he's saying, but give praise all the time. There's a lady, Amy Robach, who is on Good Morning America, or has been, and I understand is about to return to the air, in the last 30 days, she's had some really roller coaster experiences. Her producer came to her apparently back in October and said on the morning show, We're going to bring someone in who's going to do a manogram. Would you be willing to have that done live? And she agreed to have that done. They ran the test on her on live television. I don't think anybody was really thinking about getting the results of that test. That wasn't the purpose. The purpose was to air that and to encourage other people. Well, the test results did come back to Amy, and she was told that she had breast cancer. Not in one breast, but in both. And within 30 days, she was in the hospital, and she had radical surgery. And while they were doing the radical surgery, they discovered some additional malignant cancer. Since she has gotten out of the hospital, they have discovered yet some more. She made an interesting statement. Now her roller coaster is at the bottom of the hill when you get that kind of news. She said, you know, since October the 30th, when I first got into this cycle she said my whole view of life has changed i appreciate the people around me so much more i look at them differently i relate to them differently and she said i have notified the staff i'll be back at work early december And we'll just see where this goes. And you can sense that now there's a security that she has that really didn't matter much before. I'm hoping she understands the secret because it's the secret that will take care of her. Paul says an interesting thing. He says, you know, the gifts that I've received really aren't for me you look at verse 17, what he says is, the gifts that I have received, not that I seek the gift itself, but I seek for the profit which increases to your account. What a different way of looking at life. This isn't about what I'm going to get, but as you minister to me, as you share with me, you're going to get the blessing. And he's saying, that's really what this is all about, and it's really my motive. You know, if you look at other people and say, when they do share with me and we do share with each other, what a blessing it can be to them, how it can add to their account. So I just want you all to know, if you want to get really blessed, you all just start sending gifts. That's not how that's supposed to work. But the blessing comes for the one who's the giver. One of our children, our middle child, Whaley, got up one Christmas morning and he was so excited about Christmas. And we made a big deal out of it in our house for years and years. I made it very clear, if you don't believe in Santa Claus, then he can't come. My children still believe, maybe rightly so. Whaley got up and he ran in and we had all kinds of gifts for he and Kathy and Steve under the tree and they ran over but Whaley particularly and Whaley had this way of opening gifts that if you ever wanted to use the paper again just forget it and if you ever wanted to use the box again you could forget that he was one of these rippers he would just rip rip them apart he was so excited and he opened up his gifts and he played with one and he played with another and he was just all over the room and a couple of hours later I said to Linda where's Whaley? She said, I think he's in the kitchen. I went in the kitchen, and I heard some pots and pans banging together. And I opened the two lower cabinets, and there's my little boy playing with his favorite toys, pots and pans. And I looked at him, and I thought, but I haven't even paid for those gifts. (laughs) You ever had that experience? It's the giving of the gift that's important. The gifts don't last. They wear out, they rust, they get stolen, or they break. But if you look around at the things that temporarily brought joy to you, so many of those things aren't in your life now. But the memory of somebody else having given them to us, it was added to their account. Can you understand the kind of fresh way Paul's looking at all this? He's saying, give thanks to God in all circumstances. Give thanks to God in some very specific ways because of what's going on. You remember the last time you really got depressed? You remember the last time you really got concerned about what was going on with you or your family? It has a way for some people of snuffing out our prayer time. It has a way of taking the joy away from us. And I hear Paul saying, it doesn't have to be that way. So be good to yourself. When things look so dark, know that God is involved in your life and he's using even those things to bring you closer to himself. Paul learned the secret. And now it's our turn. It's time for us to learn. And Paul says to us, and you know one of the other benefits is when we start to mature like that and we start to understand how to give and receive gifts and how to give thanks in all circumstances, it pleases God you know why it pleases God? Jesus hung on a cross, suffering pain, knowing that he had come to die. So there was no calling on the legion of angels who could have freed him like that. Instead, he hung there. And instead of thinking about himself, he thought about the people hanging next to him and got involved in dialogue and reassured one of those men that he would be in paradise that day. You remember that? Getting outside of himself and not thinking just about himself. You remember another thing that happened? He looked down and his mother, Mary, was standing there. You remember what he said to John? This is your mother. This is your son. What he was saying was, take care of my mom. When I'm gone, you be there for her. And saying to his mom, and let him be your son. Not thinking about himself. And yet his pending death was so imminent. And he was thinking about us. That's why he was on the cross. If he had been thinking about himself, he wouldn't have allowed them to put him on the cross. But he was concerned for us. And scripture so beautifully tells us that what Christmas is about is the gift of the Son of God who came not to live, but to die. Because our sins cannot be dealt with any other way except through his atoning death. So he goes to a cross and he dies on a cross which is the fulfillment of his coming. And then by the power of God he's raised from the dead and ascends into heaven and has told us he's coming back again to get you and to get me. Amen? That's what's going on, folks. So when your roller coaster gets to the bottom give praise. God hadn't checked out. And when it gets at the top, give praise. It's going to be like that for eternity. Isn't that beautiful? I think Paul has, through his own human experiences and certainly with the help of the Holy Spirit, has come to the point that he understands. He understands the secret and he's learned it. If you look at the 19th verse, why give thanks to God? He says, and my God will supply all of your wants. Whoop! Is that what that said? That's not what that says. All of your needs. That's the assurance. I was asked to preach in a church in Romania, a Baptist church. And if you get into the western part of that country, that land was all, it's called Transylvania, and that whole region was annexed from Hungary. So the population is mostly Hungarian. I was invited to preach in a Romanian Baptist church at 11 o'clock on Sunday, and I was told there will be no Romanians there. I said, who will be there? They said, Hungarians. I said, if it's a Romanian church, why will there be no Romanians? They said, it's very simple. There are 150 members of that church who built this very nice, like we would have, two-story building. And it would seat over 900 people. So it's a pretty sizable facility. And they said to me, what happened was, the Romanians built this facility and they were worshiping here and this Hungarian Baptist church didn't have facilities. They came to people, they really don't want to be around. And they worked out a deal where the Romanians, the smaller group who owned the building, would go to an early worship service and 900 Hungarian Baptist Christians would fill the sanctuary at 11 o'clock. And then they would flip those to a Sunday school and worship. I preached a powerhouse church, people who loved the Lord, who'd been living under absolute communism, and who now had a new degree of freedom. They told me something else about those folks. They said that for 10 years, that arrangement had been going on. And over that 10 years, The Hungarians, who were the renters, had bought a piece of land. They had built a magnificent building, even larger than the building they were using on a rental basis. They got down to where they had finished all the work on it, and if you've been overseas, particularly in Eastern Europe, people pay as they go. So you'll see a wall go up, and months may go by before the next wall goes up. They have to have the money, cash money, to buy the material and to pay for the labor. And they do a lot of their own labor. Well, these Hungarians had gone out, bought land, and built this magnificent building. They went down to get their final permit. And that meant they could worship in their new building and they could get out of the Romanian building. The inspector said the peak of your building is a few inches too tall. It doesn't meet code. There's no legal recourse. In a communist nation, when they speak, you've had your day in court. They brought bulldozers in and bulldozed a brand new building. They hauled all of the debris away And they took the property from these Christians and gave it to the city and they made a park out of it. The Hungarians go back to the Romanians. When I was there, they were back in a rent using this other space. How do you give thanks for that? You know they were happy people. You know why they were happy? They found their contentment in Jesus, not in the things of life. And you and I have been so inundated by a materialistic society, every one of us. That I wonder if things really got tough. You think we could find joy and give thanks to the Lord? My daddy's generation Those men and women were made out of steel. Are we? We're not the Christian nation we were then. It's all about our personal walk with Jesus. And then stuff will not create a roller coaster, whether we have it or don't have it. It's all about in here. As we approach Christmas, particularly this Thursday, I encourage you, count your blessings. When you start feeling sorry for yourself, and all of us do that at times, stop and get off by yourself and say, hey Lord, what should I be giving you thanks for in this circumstance? And if you do that, the Holy Spirit will help you identify it. I'm positive. Because God has not checked out on us. He's involved in every part of our life. Can you all hear? Golly, he wants something beautiful for us. And he keeps telling us about it. So you take it and you live it and trust him. Let's pray. Father, we do give thanks to you. We thank you, Lord, that you never take your hand off us. Once you call us to be your children, your Holy Spirit dwells in us. And he's not going anywhere and not going to desert us, and we're going to be indwelt by your Spirit until the moment we come to heaven. We have a lot to give thanks for. We have a security now and eternally that we could never earn for ourselves and that can never be lost. Thank you for teaching us the secret. His name is Jesus. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Have you all um, learned some lessons and then promptly forgotten them? Is that kind of a common experience for all of us? You have those enlightened moments where God says, let me explain to you how this is gonna work. And you say, I got it. And then something happens and you don't have it anymore. And then you get back to reading the word or in prayer or in church and Sunday school or worship and and you're reminded again. You say, I got that again. I remember that. And then you get back out there and something happens and you don't have it anymore. I think we can control that. I do believe that by keeping Jesus forefront in our life by thinking about him, about reading about him, about praying. Let that be your goal. And enjoy the peace that comes from knowing Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. God bless you, and God keep you, and may his face shine on you. And may you smile, because God really loves you. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit,